Hope you got your pen and your paper and you're strapped in. Everybody got your seatbelt, buckle themselves in. We're going on a long journey this morning. Um, and there will be a lot of scriptures that we hit, but there's a lot of scriptures that we won't hit that talk on this topic. Um, before we actually get into the scriptures, though, I just want to talk about a couple things that we need to just establish before we get started. One, one really great thing is that what the Lord has done is that he has made a thing for us, not of, I think Pastor Tim said this multiple times, he didn't plan to not preach most of November, but things just started falling into place where he had different speakers that are actually going to be coming in. I'm the first one, and all the way through November, we're going to have different guys that are focused on the nations, that are focused on missions um, next, next week, and then the weeks after that, all the way through November, which is pretty amazing. So I get to set the table, if you would, for missions and for the nations for the rest of these guys. So it's my pleasure and also a challenge to talk to you about the biblical basis for, for missions, the Lord's heart. The first thing that we want to talk about is we're going to look at a lot of verses that actually look at the word nations in the scriptures. And we need to define that because a lot of times in the scriptures, the word nations doesn't mean a border where a country is like we think of nations like the United States or Canada or Zimbabwe, the bordered thing. Now, what the word nations is, is actually people groups. The word nations in the Bible um, in Hebrew is gawi. And then, but in, um, what's the other one? Greek, excuse me. In Greek, it is the word ethnos. Does anybody really know what ethnos sounds like? It's where we get the word ethnic from. And ethnic groups or ethnic people groups are groups that are defined by a language, a common culture, and a location. In the world, we have somewhere around 7,000 plus people groups. Of those 7,000 plus people groups, 2,000 plus of them are unreached people groups. What an unreached people group means is that people groups that have less than 2.5% Christians in them. So that means almost 40% of the people groups in the world are groups that don't have believers in them. And it's something like a thousand plus of those have less than 0.5% Christians in them. So you're saying that, what is that, one seventh, one out of every seven person in the world, one out of every seven people groups in the world do not have even really a representation of Christ to tell them about himself, tell them about Jesus. So we're going to be taking a look at all, a lot of these verses that talk about ethnos or ta ethne, all people groups, um, all ethnic groups. The second thing that we're going to talk about is that the, what the Bible actually is. The Bible is not a bunch of books that aren't related to each other, that are stacked on top of each other to read. If you look at all the rest of the religious documents in the world, as far as the ancient ones like uh, Hinduism, Islam, all of these other books, a lot of their scriptures aren't cohesive. They don't really follow. Like the Bhagavad Gita, to a great extent, is a bunch of different random stories about a bunch of different random gods that are all smashed together and then given to you. Same thing with the Quran. It's a bunch of different random sayings that don't read. You can't really understand it. But the Bible is a cohesive book. It has an intro, it has a story, and then it has a conclusion. And so we're going to look at that this morning in God's heart for the nations. So actually, as we get into the scriptures, before I'm going to set the table for us for what happens. 
And I'm going to tell this story as we go throughout um, the scriptures. But before that, let me pray for us one more time. Father God, we just ask that you would give revelation to us in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and a desire and a will to obey what you have given to us, God. Um, You have loved us from the beginning, and you are still loving us today. Make yourself known to us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the story opens in the intro, and we see God creating all of everything. He speaks into being, and he creates the world. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars. He creates water. He creates land. He creates all of creation. Everything that was created, he creates. And then last, he, be- he decides to create man. And the first thing that God tells man is, do I have this thing on? No, I don't. It would be good if I turned it on first. In Genesis 1.28, he says to man, or to humanity, he says, he blessed them. The very first thing he did is bless them. And what is a blessing? What is God actually doing there? A blessing is God actually giving of himself. Understand that. The very first thing he does is he gives of himself to them. And then he says to them a command and other things. A blessing, a lot of times, what we think about a blessing is fame, jewels, riches, honor, a good job, good health, whatever. All of those different blessings actually have a double-edged sword to them. Money can lead to greed, or it can lead to stinginess. A job can lead to taking over our time. A family can lead to a divided mind. All these things have double-edged swords. There's one blessing that doesn't have a double-edged sword, and that's actually the greater blessing and that's God. When he gives to us of himself, what comes from it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, righteousness, goodness. The blessing of him brings us actually into a right relationship, and it begets more of him in us, or at least it should. So God blesses them, and then he says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Whenever we read scriptures, a lot of times we see that there's a top line and then there's also a bottom line. So there's two different things that God's hitting with one arrow. First of all, we like to read the top line because it usually feels good. Oh, he did this for me. I love this. This is so great. So, for example, he blesses them. Oh, I love to be blessed. Thank you. I love gifts. I love things that are for me. But he also tells us stuff to do. Why did he bless them? That's the bottom line. He blessed them because he wanted them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, I forgot, neglected to say this just a second ago. In our story, with our intro, our body, and our conclusion, the actual story is God's story. It's not the story of the Hebrews. It's not the story of the Israelites. It's not the story of me and you. It's not the story of the church. It's the story of God's glory and how he's going to get it and how he's, and how he's receiving it and giving it out. That is the story that we're talking about here. So in our intro, we see God meets man. He made man. We've got Adam here. He blesses him. And then he says, go out. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Use the authority that I've given you to subdue the earth. Things start going good. Adam starts naming animals. 
God sees that he is alone, so he can't really get that fruitful part going on. So he says, okay, let me give you a wife. He gives him Eve. Things are still going great. And then we see in Genesis 3 that things take a bad turn for the worse. Man and woman decide that they are more important than God. The serpent comes in. He deceives them and says, hey, God left you out. There was something that he left out for you. He's holding out on you. Not left you out. He's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. And man says, well, I'd rather choose myself over God. So sin enters into the world, and a schism begins in between God and man. There becomes this gap that we can't get across, something that we can't understand. And this builds and builds and builds until we see in Genesis 9, God decides, or actually Genesis 8, God decides to send a flood to wipe off man from the face of the earth. But he chooses a righteous man named Noah and his family, puts him in a boat and says, hey, through you, I'm going to bless the world. So you guys come into this boat and, and do it. So in Genesis 9, 1, after God has repented of what he was, what he had what, uh, repented of making man, he wipes everybody off the face of the earth except for Noah and his family. When Noah steps outside of the boat, God gives him this exact thing. Noah, in Genesis 9, 1, he says, and God blessed Noah. So God gave to Noah of himself. That's what the blessing is. He's giving of himself to him and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So don't just stay here. Be fruitful and spread out. Genesis 9, 7 says the same thing to him. And you, talking to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. So we're still in our intro here. Noah does that whole thing. We kind of see a little bit of multiplication happen. People start moving around to different places. And then we get to a place called Babel. Actually, it's a not, not a place called Babel. We see that now the, the whole earth in Genesis 11 had one language and the same words. As the people migrated from the east, they found a plain called Shinar, excuse me, not Babel, Shinar, and settled there. Well, they're one people one language. What are they supposed to be doing? Multiplying and spreading out and subduing the whole earth. Well, they decide, well, we're not going to do that. They do the same thing that, that the guys that, that Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3 and choose themselves. They say, let us make bricks, let us, and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar, and they said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Uh, otherwise, we'll be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So their sin here was that they, one, chose themselves and wanted to build for themselves their own name. But second, they didn't obey the command. The command was to go out and multiply and spread across the earth. They said, no, let's stay in this one place and let's not be dispersed. So what does God do? He gets his glory. God comes down and says, hey, we're going to confuse their speech. Let them change their speech so they don't understand, understand each other. So the Lord dispersed them from there, and every, his force burst them there over all of the face of the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused their language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed 
them over the face of the earth. So we go from this one kind of people group, if you would, this one nation, and we begin to have all these different nations. People clumping together. These guys have Mandarin. These guys have Swahili. These guys have whatever other language. And they start splitting off into these groups. And the Lord starts to make these different nations, these different ethnic groups, these different people groups that go out from there. And that kind of brings to the close our intro into the story. And we start to get into the body of our story in Genesis chapter 12. God sees a man named Abraham who loves him. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 1, verse, in chapter, Genesis 12, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 3, he says, go up from your country, from your nation, your ethnic group and your kindred and your father's house into the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great people group. I will make you a great ethnos, a great nation. And I will bless you. I will give of myself to you. And I will make your name great. Oh, we like that part. Oh, bless me, make my name great. So that you will be a blessing. Bottom line, why is he blessing them? Why is he making them great? So that they'll be a blessing. They are blessed to be a blessing. That still continues today. We're all blessed to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be able to know me. Because what's the blessing? The blessing is to know him. The blessing is for him to come and inhabit you, to be a part of you. So Abraham's journey goes on. He gets told this right before the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are wiped off the earth. The Lord says to him now in front of other people, it's not just a word that's going to Abraham. It's now being confirmed in front of witnesses. Whenever we see inside of the scriptures, it says a testimony is only confirmed in front of two and three witnesses, two and three faithful witnesses, if you would. So he says this to him in front of other people. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the face of the earth, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation, a great and mighty nation, people group, and all the nations of the earth, all of the people groups of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised. So that's the second time he says it to Abraham. Abraham goes on in his life a little bit later. He has a son. His son's name is Isaac. The Lord tells him, Isaac goes, Abraham, go and sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Right as he goes to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, the Lord stops him and he calls to him for a second time from heaven here in Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. And he says, by myself, I've sworn. So this is the third time. So he's making true that we understand because it's the third time he's saying it. And secondly, he's also swearing by himself. What's higher than God to swear upon? Nothing. He's saying, I'm 100% going to make this known. In Hindi, we call it pakaing, making it sure. He pakad it. He made it clear. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely give you of myself. All these other blessings are going to come as well. His name is going to be made great. He's going to have a whole bunch of family, a whole bunch of kids. He's going to become a great nation. There's going to be fame that comes. But first and foremost, God is giving of himself to Abraham. 
and I will surely multiply your offspring. How's he going to multiply? It's just Abraham, his son, two people, and Sarah, his wife, but he's going to multiply them. His offspring, and multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Most of the time, whenever we think of mission or God's heart for the nations, we think of Matthew 28. That's whenever we were sent out to go out and do it. But I can test to you that God has been actually calling people, blessing them so that they could go out and bless the world and tell the world about him from the beginning. He's always loved you. He's always loved all of the people of the earth. Not just whenever Jesus came and brought salvation to him. He set apart this special people, Israel, who he blessed so that they could go and be a blessing to all people groups. So our story continues on. Abraham's son then receives the blessing. There we go. Abraham's son then receives the blessing, Isaac. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. I will give you of myself. For to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath, the covenant that I swore with Abraham, your father. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give your offsprings as these lands. And in your offsprings, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed blessed to be a blessing. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has a dream. And in this dream, there was a ladder that set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood on it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land, of which li- and the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your offspring. So he's going to bless them. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to to the west, to the east, to the north and the south, and you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And you and your offspring shall all of the ethnic groups, all the people groups of the earth will be blessed. The ta ethne, the gawi of the world will be blessed. Do you think that God's trying to tell them something? Like there's a part of something that they're supposed to be doing here? So we move on inside of of Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and we see our story pause for just a little while. Um, They go into Egypt. Joseph is now one of the rulers there under Pharaoh, numbers one under Pharaoh, number two under Pharaoh. And we see the Israelites, or the chosen people, go in there. And what do they do for 400 years? They multiply. What God said that he was going to do, what God wanted them to do is, I'm going to multiply you across the earth. They grow from a family of 12-ish people into a family of millions. So they grow over this 400 years. And then we pick the story back up. They become slaves. And Moses is reminded of what God has said. This is Exodus 6, 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. I'm going to show things to you. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. Talking about the Israelites, he'll send them out of Egypt. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not reveal, I did not make myself known to them. 
I also established my covenant with them. What was the covenant that he established with them? That I will bless you to be a blessing. In you, all the nations will be blessed. That's the covenant that he made with them. And he also said to them that he'll give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they had lived as sojourners. And moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel with whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered that I will bless them, give them this land, and they will be a blessing unto the earth. And then he says this about Pharaoh, because he also makes his name great through other people as well. This is, this is Exodus 9, 15 through 16. He says this to Pharaoh through um, Moses. He says, by now, for by now, I could have put my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power. Why did he raise him up? To show his power. For what reason? What's the bottom line here? So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God does everything he does for a purpose. It's for the nations. It's for you. It's for the people groups of the world. It's not just, oh, I'm just doing this for Israel. Oh, I'm just doing this for Pharaoh. The blessings that you received, they're received, they are received, one for you, but two for others. He blesses you to be a blessing. And just, we'll, we'll see this in just a minute, but this actually happens that the people of the world are still fearing the God of Israel hundreds of years later because of what he does to Pharaoh. Actually, maybe even 2,000 years later for us because of what he does to Pharaoh. He also gives them and blesses them with wisdom. Deuteronomy 4, they're out in the desert that did come out of Egypt. He gave 10 plagues to Egypt. Pharaoh and his people did die in the Red Sea. He parted the waters. They're out in the desert for 40 years because of their ridiculousness, because they continued to choose themselves over God. But God continues to make his name great. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, we see that he says, I've taught you statues and rules as the Lord my God commanded you. This is Moses talking to them that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Why? Because if you keep them and do them, they will be your wisdom and understanding in sight of all the peoples, in sight of the nations, who, when they see these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to them as the Lord our God or the Lord their God? is to us whenever we call upon him. And what a great nation, what a great people group is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that is set before you today, all this covenant that is set before you today. Pretty amazing God continues to use all of these things for the nations, for these people groups, not just for Israel, yes, for Israel, but it's for the world. It's for each one of us, me and you. Not many of us in this room are actually of, of Jewish descent. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. It's wonderful that he loved you even then, that he continued to spread his name. And this is kind of some, one of those crazy things. 40 years-ish after they've left Israel, we see a lady, they, Joshua comes into, into the leaderhood or the, 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 what do you call it, leadership 
of um, leaderhood. I don't think that's a word. Maybe it's a new word. We'll, we'll, we'll mark that up. That's in Zach's new dictionary, leaderhood. The leadership of Israel. They are now leaving the desert and headed into the promised land here. And they come to a city called Jericho. Send some spies in there. The spies get in and there's a lady named Rahab who lets them into the city, protects them and shows them the city. Well, Rahab tells the spies this whole thing in Joshua 2, 10 and 11. She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what, ye, what, he, what, the, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. God destroyed them with the Israelites um, while they were in the desert, whom you completely destroyed. Oh, I should have just read that. Um, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Amen. Rahab recognizes these things that he prophesied, that God said was going to happen. She realizes. And Rahab actually comes into the kingdom, comes into the family of Israel. And if you read through the genealogy of Christ, who's in the genealogy of Christ? Rahab is. Boaz is as well. That's exactly right. These, these Gentiles, these people that weren't in the kingdom of God are then now grafted into these special people and get a special place because they are blessed, she's blessed, to get what? A blessing. She's blessed to bless. She blesses the Israelites. In turn, she's blessed and is named in a place of honor, which is pretty amazing. And there's plenty of different other uh, people that do this inside of the scriptures. I'm not just naming all of them. I don't have a lot of time. But there are just a couple more of them. Let me say, hold on, where's my notes? Uh, a couple more of these people. There's Jethro. There's in Elijah and Jeremiah where people bless them who are not Israelites, who then become special people. Um, yeah, pretty amazing. We see it again here in Sam, 1 Samuel 17. We have a little boy who becomes a king, David, um, the second king of Israel. He goes to fight the Philistines, and there's a big, huge man named Goliath, who's a giant. And he is a little boy who's going to fight this giant. And he gets up there, and Goliath has been talking all types of evil about the God of Israel and the people of Israel. And here we go. David gets up there in all of his glory and righteousness. I just imagine him being like three foot two. Um, and all of his glory and righteousness of the Lord. And he says, you come at me with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. The blessing and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give your dead bodies of the host of the Philistines and the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth was the purpose, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And they did. All the earth became scared of this one David who slayed his ten thousands and Saul slayed his thousands. And we see again in Nehemiah, I'm just going through, there's, not a, there's a whole bunch of these things in between here. In Nehemiah, the same thing, God does something to bless them for his glory. They build, they go back, the Israelites are exiled from the promised land. Some couple hundred years later, they're called back to the promised land. There's no wall around uh, Israel, around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah goes back to build this wall. And it was built in the 20, or 25th day of the month of, El of Elu. 
Elul, sorry, in, the, in 52 days, they were able to rebuild the wall. And when all the enemies of the Lord heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell, fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived, they realized that this work had been accomplished with the help of their God. They were blessed to get a wall. God used it for his glory. David kind of sums it up really good for us in Psalm 67. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Give him of himself to us. God's giving of himself to us. And make his face shine upon us that your way, God's way, may be known on the earth. Your saving power among ethne, all nations, all people groups. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. Let all the people groups be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Do you think he can say nations and peoples enough inside of this? Do you think that he's trying to get something across to us? It's, he's always loved the world. He's always wanted the world. He's always wanted reconciliation for every single people group, every single nation, every single person in the world. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Here's another one. Probably most of us know this verse. Be still in. Now, who knows the bottom part of that one? For I will be exalted among all the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God because... I will make my name great because people will worship me. All the people groups will. All the people of the earth will. Promise. It's a promise. But here's what happens with the Israelites, these special people that have been given a promise, that have been blessed. Isaiah tells us a really scary kind of thing in Isaiah 26, verses 17 and 18. It says, like a pregnant woman who cries and cries out in her pains when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. God had birthed them, made them pregnant with promise. He'd made them pregnant with a covenant, pregnant with blessing. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we gave birth to win. Why did they give birth to win? Because we have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. They weren't a blessing. They didn't bless the world. They stayed in their one little spot and said, we're special. They made it back about them. We're special. We're a special people, which is true. They were special people. They were blessed. But what were they blessed for? To be a blessing. We church, I'll pause right here for a second. We church are close to this. This verse is really true for us as well. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. And the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. They've not fallen and given praise to the Lord. Daniel kind of gives us a, a true kind of vision of the future in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, just to show that God's going to do this. He gives us some prophecy. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. He sees Jesus coming in like the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory 
and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all people groups, and all language would serve him. So Daniel sees this in picture. In the middle of our story, Daniel sees this in picture of Jesus coming and every people group praising him. All languages. It's pretty exciting. Now we have a little view of what's going to happen in the end. We kind of know how's this going to happen. What's he going to do? Is Israel going to bring it? What's going to happen here? One last one from, uh, from the Old Testament. Malachi 1.11. From the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. Has his name never not been great among the nations? He's saying it again. My name will be great among the nations. I'm going to get my glory. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, among the Gawi, among all the ethnos. Ta-ethne, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so we've set a precedence here. The Old Testament, I hope we can all see this, that this great commission that God wants to bless the earth, that God wants to tell people about himself and about his glory, and he wants to reconcile people to himself, it did not start with Jesus. It started all the way in Genesis 1, focused even more in Genesis 12, and it continues today. Let's take a look at what Jesus says about all this nation stuff, because maybe he didn't say anything about it. We can just skip all the way over it. Mark 11, Genesis, Genesis, Jesus, I guess he was in the beginning as well. So um, Jesus is a, is, goes into the temple and we see where he whips them out. Why does he whip them out of the temple? We have all these tax collectors that are in the middle of the temple. We have all these people who are trying to sell goods and sell animals and everything. And Jesus gets so angry, he binds together some cords and whips them out of the temple. And this is the reason that he whips them out. He says to them, is it not written, my house shall be a a house of prayer for all nations, for all people groups, not just for the Israelites. Now it's true that the Jews were only able, the only ones that were able to go into the inner courts. They were the only ones that were able to go past a point. But this place where he's whipping them out of, this is where the nations, where all the people groups of the earth were able to come and pray. And he's so upset because he is always, Jesus Christ has always loved you, has always loved your family, has always loved your ethnic group, has always loved your people group. And he continues today. By the way, this is the only time that we really see Jesus get upset in the scriptures is whenever people stopped the nations from coming before him. Interesting thoughts. What else does Jesus say about it? We see in Matthew 24, we've been going through the Olivet Discourse. Pastor Tim's been doing it basically for the last eight weeks. And it says that this gospel... This good news, what is the gospel? We'll get to that in a second, but just hold that thought right there. This gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to ta ethne, to all nations, to all people groups, and then the end will come. So it won't stop. The end won't stop until the gospel has gone forth. Jesus won't come back in full until the gospel 
has gone forth to all these nations, all people groups. Matthew 28, what we talked about earlier, the Great Commission, I'm sending you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of ta ethne of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says is this, after his death and resurrection, right before his ascension, his very last thing that he says to his disciples is he says, go, continue, I'm blessing you. Be a blessing. Give them the greater blessing of me. Tell them that I am reconciling all people, all things, back to myself. And we have been called to that. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us that you are a minister of reconciliation to tell the world that Christ is reconciling the world back to himself. All right, a couple more from Jesus. Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole world. What is that good news? What is the gospel? Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am also sending you. It means that we're supposed to go out. We're not supposed to be gathering together in Babel. We're supposed to be going out. Think ahead a little bit. Where's another time where people who had received the good news about Jesus kind of hung together in one place? They hung out in, in Jerusalem, right? And what did God do to disperse them? There was a great tribulation, great persecution that came upon the early church. And then they were spread out. Does that sound like Babel? Does that sound like all of these other places? Does that sound like the exile that happened? Interesting. I wonder what God is saying. I don't know. Here's a really cool one. Luke 24, we have two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus starts opening up the scriptures to them. He kind of shows up randomly. They aren't able to understand him and see him. They don't know who he is. He's already passed away. He's already been resurrected. He shows up to them, and he opened their mind to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, to ta ethne, to every people group, beginning from Jerusalem. You're a witness of these things and behold, I'm sending you the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in this city until... Catch that. But I want you to stay in Jerusalem until. Most of these disciples, we're going to see it right here again in Acts 1.8, most of these disciples were actually from Galilee. They have no reason to hang out in Jerusalem. If they wanted to go back to wherever it was, where home was, wherever it was comfortable to them, they would go back to Galilee. But he said, stay in Jerusalem. Why? Do you think it has something to do with all the nations? I think it has something to do with all the people of the world? I don't know. You guys tell me. I'm confused. I don't think that he loves the people of the world. He only cares about me. And I should make it all about me anyways. But we see in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. It falls upon them. But at that time, at Pentecost, were gathered Jews from all over the world. He had them there for a strategic reason. If they were in Galilee, all these Jews wouldn't have been gathered there. 
They were gathered where? In Jerusalem. So he falls on them. And guess what? All these people start going out and they start speaking Hebrew to other people, right? Because God really cares only about the Israelites. No! They start speaking Malayalam and Telugu and they start speaking Mandarin and all these other random languages. And everyone can hear in their own words. Why? Because God loves the people of this earth. He blessed these people with his Holy Spirit. Understand that. For what purpose? To be a blessing to the nations, to every people group. I'm not excited about this at all. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit excited about it. So what's the gospel? That's the question, right? Galatians 3, 7 through 9 kind of gives us a good picture of what this gospel is. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith are the sons of the promise. Those of faith are the sons of the covenant. And the scripture, catch that, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles through faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What is the gospel that was preached to Abraham? That he is blessed to be a blessing. That's the good news, brothers and sisters, that you are blessed. God has given you of himself to reconcile you to himself so that you can go and reconcile others. It's exciting stuff. Saying in you all the nations, all the Gawi, all the people groups of the earth shall be blessed, not breast, blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's pretty cool stuff. Pretty amazing stuff. So what does that really mean? Well, do you think it's just for some people? 2 Peter 3.9 says, wrong, not for some people. It's for all. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. He is patient towards you, brothers and sisters, because he wants you to repent. <laughs> he loves us. His kindness leads us to repentance. He loves you. He has loved you from the beginning. He has loved the Syrians from the beginning. He has loved the Indians from the beginning. He's loved the Ansari from the beginning. He's loved those in Papua New Guinea from the beginning, those in Japan from the beginning, those who are here right now, the Apache, the Americans, whatever. He's loved us all from the beginning because he's patient toward us, not wishing that any of us should perish, but that all, should reach for repentance. I pray this morning that we're all finding some repentance in Jesus of our dead works, choosing ourself, choosing ourselves over him because, man, that's what we've done through time. But whose story is this? It's his story. History, maybe? It's his story. Not mine, not yours, not Israel's. It's his. Not the church's even. It's his story. First Timothy Two, one through four says this to us, that we are to pray, make supplications and intercessions and prayers and thanksgiving be made for ta ethne, for all people groups. Not just supposed to pray about your problems, people, because you got a lot. I know you do, because I got a lot. But we're supposed to pray for the nations, pray for the people. 
for kings and for all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful life and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of, our, of God, our Savior, who desires who? All people, all people groups, ta ethne, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we're coming close to an end here, to the conclusion of our story, right? Coming close to that end. But we've got a couple few things that we need to talk about. The first one is this. How do these people receive the blessing? How do we take the blessing to them? What does us blessing other people mean? Does it mean that we just take our wealth and spread it around? No. This is what it means. For everyone who calls on the, Lord, on the name of the Lord will be saved. We are supposed to take Jesus to them. We're taking this God to them, telling them that he is reconciling them to himself. But... How does that happen? How then will they call on in him on, on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? We have to go. We have to go. We have to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We can't just chill in Babylon. Can't just hang out in Jerusalem. We're spread and dispersed, multiplying, taking the whole earth and subduing it for his name. Not by swords, not by might, but by his spirit. Amen. And it's also for those who have never heard Romans 15, I don't have this one up there. Romans 15, 20, and 21 is a really close verse to mine and my wife's heart. It says that I may preach, Paul saying, that I may preach the gospel where there is not, where his name has not been known. Where his name has not been known. So that I may build on no other man's foundation. How many of those people groups did we say earlier don't know Jesus? Like 40% of them? It's 40% of the population of the world. It's called the 1040 window. Most of the people who have never heard of Jesus, who have never had an opportunity to meet a Christian before, live right in that, world, in that area. West Africa, all the way to Japan, all the way in between, from the bottom of India or Indonesia area, all the way to the middle to top of China, that little window holds more than 40% of the world's population, but it's where little to no people go to share the good news. Interesting. We'll hear more about that in the days to come, the weeks to come. I won't belabor it. So we get to our conclusion here. All right, our story's kind of coming to an end. John has this cool little vision that is the conclusion of our story. What's the conclusion? Oh, wait, it's the same thing that Daniel told us earlier. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from God or for God from every tribe, every language and every people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So that means it should be happening here, right? And then here's our final view. 
in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, we see it in heaven. He looks up, he sees this amazing worship service going on. And man, I can't wait for that day. It's going to be beautiful. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, every tribe, and people and language. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You can count on it. Put it on a stamp. This is the end of our story. This is the conclusion where we will all, all the nations, all the people groups, will be standing before his throne. Okay, so I've given you Genesis to Revelation, talking about the biblical basis of mission, God's heart for the nation, that we are blessed with his presence to bless others with his presence. We are blessed by him, and all those other things come along with it, but we are blessed to be a blessing. So you're saying, okay, cool. I see that he's doing that. What does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? Well, it means that you are to go and make disciples of all nations, commanding them to follow him. And so there's four options for us. We go, we give, we pray, or we disobey. That's it. There's no other options for us. Because we are God's representatives. We are his plan for the nations. We are his plan for all of these people groups. We are his plan for all of the lost. We're his plan for all of the world. So what do you do about it? Well, I can tell you here in Jerusalem that there is a a lot of people who are from that 1040 window group who live here in Jerusalem. Our our organization mapped Richmond a couple of years ago, and there was something about 150-ish countries represented in Richmond. Inside of those 150 countries, there was like 1,000 people groups or something, and 80% of them were from that 1040 window. There is a, in our area, there is a almost complete school district in our area where we live in Glen Allen. There's almost a complete school district that is filled with South Asians who don't know him. Pretty crazy, right? Pretty amazing. So in Jerusalem, there are people that are ready in Pentecost for his name. In Judea, here in Richmond, I'm not Richmond, what's the state we're in? Virginia. Forgive me. Sometimes Mississippi is the only thing I can think of. Home, sweet home. Sweet home, Mississippi. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Anyways, um, forgive me, Lord. Um, So in Virginia, the same thing. The nations are here, and the nations are to be glad because of what you're sharing with them. This Jesus, this good news, this gospel that you are blessed, and God is blessing others with his presence for his glory. And then Samaria, our country, same difference, and to the ends of the earth. Keith Green said it really good. 
And it's a, it's a really good thing for us to take stock of and to pray and to ask the Lord. Keith Green said, if this is true, what I just read is true, that we're blessed to be a blessing and we have to go to the world to share the world. We can't just sit in our home and chill in our place or sit in our church and hang out. Then it seems that most of us have the call to go and that only a certain amount of people have a special call to stay. Have you received a special call to stay? Or have you received the common call to go? A question for you to deliberate, pray, wrestle with, ask Jesus, what are you doing in this whole thing? It's a really good question. Because I come back to that, that Isaiah 26 verse that haunts me for the church. It haunts me because I see it, you see it in Israel, you see it over their story, but I also see it in the church's story, that we're pregnant with promise, we're pregnant with the blessing, and we're pregnant with all types of blessing of the good news of Jesus Christ. But how often are you, or am I, or we, giving birth to wind? that the nations of the world aren't submitting to God, not because they refuse him, but because we're not preaching it to him. We're not sharing with him. We'd rather chill in our own place, make babble our own home. So question for us. What's he saying to you? Give, go, pray, or disobey? Let's pray. Father God, I love you, I thank you, I praise you because you really are the greatest good. You're the, be- you're, the- you're the greater blessing, Jesus. God, you have always loved the world. You have loved each one of us. It didn't just start with Jesus. It's one story. You're one God. You are the same from the beginning, from the end. You're the alpha and the omega. You are the same, God. So Lord, we... We praise your presence, Lord. God, I pray if there's any of us that are here today who don't know you, who haven't received that greater blessing of you, Jesus Christ, in their lives, Lord, that they would see your love from the beginning of time to now has not changed. You haven't changed at all. You still love us. You still want us. You still desire for us to know you, to grow in you, and to follow you. So God, I pray that we would fall on our face and give our lives to you, Lord, and that we would, too, take you because we are blessed to be that blessing, Jesus. God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us that we would be obedient as you call us deeper in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.